Lord, we thank You for this opportunity once again to be together with Your people. We thank You, Lord, for the ministry of Your Spirit, Lord, through worship. Thank You for the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask Your blessing today on those offerings that would come in. We thank You for Your faithfulness, God, and Your provision. We ask that You would just continue to bless. And Lord, we ask now that You would speak to us from Your Word. As we look at the Scripture together, Lord, we ask that it would come to life in our hearts, that it would be not just the Word of men, but really the Word from God, and that You would speak those things that You have for us today. Give us ears to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, let's open them up together to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. Jeremiah, chapter 32. The title of this morning's message is A Living Sacrifice. A Living Sacrifice. You may remember this passage out of the book of Romans, chapter 12 and verse 1. It reads, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Word teaches us to present ourselves unto God as a living sacrifice. Everything that I am, I give it to the Lord, that He might take my life and use it in such a way that he would be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How is God's will to be known and revealed in the world? It is through living sacrifices, through the demonstration of God in the life of his people. What we're going to see this morning in Jeremiah's life is that he is going to be asked to be something of a living sacrifice. God is going to ask him to do something that seems somewhat unusual and out of step. God is going to ask him to do something very unique, and Jeremiah is going to obey what God asks, because God is going to try and speak through this life of Jeremiah, not just the words that he ministers, but actually through his very actions and the life that he lives, that God would be able to use it as a message to his generation. And I believe this is what God calls us to as well. We'll look at chapter 32. I'm going to break it up into three sections this morning. The first section is where God, in fact, gives Jeremiah his instruction. The second section, we will see Jeremiah, who, in response, prays for an understanding of what God is asking. And then finally, the Lord then responds to Jeremiah's prayer, gives explanation and understanding. Let's pick it up at first here, and we'll work our way through uh, the first section, the Lord giving Jeremiah this instruction. Follow with me, if you would, starting in verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. So Jeremiah has been preaching a message, and he's been declaring that this king, king of Judah at the time, King Zedekiah, is going to be captured and conquered by the king of Babylon. Well, Zedekiah is actually resisting Babylon and actually fighting against the king of uh, Babylon. And so this is not a message that he is endeared to. Jeremiah comes and says, thus says the Lord, your uh, military campaign is going to fail. You're going to be conquered and you're going to be taken captive. Well, kings don't like that kind of news. And so uh, Jeremiah is actually arrested and thrown into the king's prison. And this is the setting wherein Jeremiah is now going to receive this instruction. We read on, starting in verse 6. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, just like the Lord said to me. And he said, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I, know, then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open, and I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Mashiach, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed. Therefore, all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison... Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land." the Lord gives Jeremiah this very strange instruction. He is in prison. We will find out later in this chapter that, that the entire land is now under siege and under control of the Babylonians. Your enemies are now actually taken over the land. And in this setting, Jeremiah is told to make a real estate investment. Hey, Jeremiah, your cousin is coming. And when he gets here, he's going to ask you to buy this field that he has in Anathoth, which was Jeremiah's hometown, and I want you to buy it from him. Seems like a strange request. First of all, I'm in prison. I don't know what good I, you know, a real estate purchase is going to be. Second of all, all of the land has been conquered by our enemies. I'll never even be able to enjoy this property. 
And yet it is in this place, in this setting, that God instructs Jeremiah to buy this land. You talk about bad timing. And yet, this is what the Lord asks him to do. You see, God wants to use Jeremiah in something of what we would call an action sermon. God is going to actually have Jeremiah do something that is going to speak a sermon or a message to the heart of the people. The Lord is trying to say something to this nation. He's trying to tell them that even though today you are being conquered and you are being judged because of your sins and failures, I still have future plans for you as a people. I have a future and a hope for you. And I'm going to demonstrate this by having Jeremiah buy a piece of land and in so doing communicate to you that there's coming a day when you will come back to this land and you will settle once again and you will buy these, this property and you will live in this land. I am not finished with you today as a people. This is not an easy task for Jeremiah. You know, if I was Jeremiah there in prison, and the word of the Lord came to me, I would be hoping that the word would have something to do with getting me out of prison. God wants to speak. Oh, Lord, I've been waiting for this word. Oh, I'm in this prison. This is so unpleasant. Oh, God's going to speak to me. God, what's your word? Uh, Jeremiah, I want you to buy some land. What? God, I'm in jail. Let's work on priorities here. Get me out of prison. Let's solve my personal circumstance, and then we'll talk about real estate right now. This is something that I need you to deliver me from. But that's not what the Lord says to him. God is not dealing with that right now. God will ultimately deliver Jeremiah, but he comes and he speaks to him because he wants Jeremiah to be an example, an object lesson, if you will, to demonstrate his plans and uh, of future redemption for his people. And he asks Jeremiah to really rise above himself and to set his circumstance aside because he wants to use the life of Jeremiah. He wants to glorify his word through Jeremiah. And he wants Jeremiah simply to obey. Jeremiah, in this particular example, is what's known as a kinsman redeemer. This comes from the law out of the book of Leviticus. God had established for his people that if for any reason you, would come, you were to come under financial hardship, rather than just selling off your property to anyone, and, you know, just to try and survive and get the proceeds, that you would look for someone of your own kin, someone within your family, and they would be really to, uh, obligated to buy that, if they could, to buy that property from you. And then you would actually have opportunity to receive it back in the future. But this way, God was trying to, to preserve this promised land, to keep the property within the family, so that you would not lose everything, even if you had to sell off everything for a season in your life. It would at least stay within family. It would stay within the kin. And this would speak to us even concerning Jesus Christ, who has become our kinsman redeemer. You see, for whatever reason, we don't, we don't know uh, exactly what Hanamel's situation was. This was a time of famine. This was a time of difficulty. It may have been that he had to sell this land off merely to survive, just to buy food for his family. And he, he has no way to redeem it himself. He has no way to pay for it or maintain it any longer. 
And so he looks to his kin. He looks to his cousin Jeremiah. And we too have been sold into the bondage of sin. We too have come to the end of ourselves as a people. And Jesus became a man that he might be kin to us, that he might be able to redeem us, that he would pay the price, the ransom for our soul, for our salvation. Jesus is pictured here in this kinsman relationship. Jesus became man that he might redeem man, that he would be kin to man, that he, living the sinless, perfect life, would be able to redeem us from our sin and the bondage of, of uh, living in life without any hope. So it speaks to us of Christ. It also is speaking to his people concerning a future and a hope that God wants to keep alive in their hearts. Let's move on in the text, and you'll see, secondly, that Jeremiah now begins to pray. Jeremiah's response to this, he obeys the Lord, but as you'll find out through his prayer, he's not really sure if the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. But he does begin his prayer correctly. He begins his prayer by worship, praise, and declaration of God's faithfulness. There's a good lesson for us in prayer as well. Look with me in verse 16. Now when I had delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You show yourself you show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, you are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day and in Israel among other men. And you have made yourself a name as it is this day. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey and it came, excuse me, and they came in and took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Jeremiah, pouring out his heart in prayer, and you'll see here in just a moment that he, he is going to request of the Lord some understanding of this instruction, but he begins with praise and worship. He begins by declaring the great things concerning God. And I think it's a good lesson for all of us when, when we don't really understand what's going on. When something is happening in your life that you just can't figure out and, and it seems that God isn't even on the same page as you. Rather than going to the Lord and immediately beginning with complaint and, and despair, come to the Lord with thanksgiving. Come to the Lord with worship. Begin to declare that He is the Creator. Remind yourself in your prayer that He is all-powerful. Nothing is too hard for you. 
You are merciful and just. You are all-knowing. You are faithful. You have delivered Your people. You have blessed Your people, warned Your people, judged Your people. You, O God, have been all that Your Word declares You to be. This is, this is a helpful prayer. Because you know, it's not that God needs to be reminded of these things, but our hearts need to be reminded of these things. When you begin to declare and worship the Lord and speak of Him as, as He exists and what His Word declares, it raises your faith. Now you're, you're praying to the God to, with whom nothing is too hard. It begins, it sets your heart in a right, uh, kind of a ready state to hear from Him. You've put Him in His proper perspective in your own heart. Jeremiah goes on, and really we find that he does seek understanding here. He says in verse 24, Look, the siege mounds. Babylon is completely laid siege around the city. They have come to the city to take it, and the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. There you see it. Just like you prophesied, Lord, just like you told me, everything that you said has come to pass. Verse 25, And you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Lord, you're the one that told me all of these things were going to come to pass. You're the one that had me prophesy all of this calamity. And now it's here. It's upon us as a nation. I'm in prison for declaring your word and you're talking to me about buying property? You hear the heart of Jeremiah. God, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem to be the right thing to be doing. And by the way, I am in prison. Might I remind you of my own discomfort? Is there, are you sure this is the, the next step that you have for me, Lord? Well, God is going to answer. God is going to give Jeremiah a heart of understanding. Let's pick that up in our third section here, starting in verse 26. He begins by reminding Jeremiah that this judgment that has come upon the land is because of God's people and their rebellion. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city shall come and set fire to this city and burn it, with the houses on whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it, even to this day. So I will remove it from before my face." Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them. 
Yet they have not listened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech which I did not command them nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. God first reminds Jeremiah how they have come to this place. He reminds Jeremiah that I am the God of all flesh. It's an important understanding of God. That God is in fact the creator of all. And the God of all flesh. All men are ultimately accountable to God, their maker. God has not made men to be independent and irresponsible and irresponsive to God and His character and His, His nature. I am the God of all flesh and nothing is too hard for me and I am going to hold this people accountable. My people have sinned. They've worshipped other gods to provoke me to anger. They've done evil before me from their youth. I'm going to remove this city from before my face. Not just some of them, but all of them. Their kings, their princes, their priests, the prophets, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all of them have turned their back to me and not the face. Even though I taught them faithfully and diligently, they would not listen to my instruction. I don't know if you've ever experienced that as a parent trying to give a, your young child some instruction, trying to correct some behavior, trying to tell them, look, this is wrong and this is, you know, we have to change this. And instead of giving you their undivided attention, they're looking around and, and not really paying attention. Anyone ever experienced that as a parent? Look at me when I'm talking to you, right? <laughs> they seem to be so disinterested in, in what's so important of what you're trying to say. And this is what God is experiencing. They didn't turn their face to me. They turned their back on me. I'm the God of all flesh. I am Almighty God and I have a people who won't even listen to my words of instruction. I gave them life. I created them. I put them in this place. I, I planted them in this city. And yet now, they want nothing to do with me. They're worshiping false gods and they won't listen to instruction. I've come to hold them accountable. And God will judge sin. Man is accountable before God. And man is without excuse. God sees and God knows. But it's not the end. This is not the end of God's dealing with His people. And this is not the message that God is trying to communicate through Jeremiah's instructions of buying a field. He gives this hope, rather, starting in verse 36. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Concerning this city of which you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. 
They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good. And I will put my fear into their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. And fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is desolate, without man or beast, it has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them, and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin in the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the city of the mountains, in the cities of the lowlands, and in the cities of the south, for I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. I am not finished with this people, Jeremiah. Yes, I am judging them. Yes, they are going to be taken captive, but I have a future and a hope for this people and this nation. There's coming a day when I'm going to bring them back and I'm going to plant them in this land and, and there's going to be land transactions again and, and the people are going to come and dwell safely here once more. Here God, in the midst of a, of a people that are rebellious, in the midst of a people that He is having to bring discipline and judgment, we still hear the heart of God. But I want to show mercy. Jeremiah, this isn't the end. Yes, I'm dealing with this sin, but I'm telling you, I will bring them back and I will rejoice over them to do them good. Is it possible that God could rejoice over someone to do them good? We believe that as Christians, those of us that have come to faith in Christ, that is a position we now enjoy. God delights in mercy. God rejoices over your life to do you good. God wants to bless. Jesus said, your Father delights to give you the kingdom. We, we that have a relationship with God, we, we know that love and that devotion. But God is promising this even for this rebellious nation of Israel as well. We believe because of the, some of the promises that are here, that some of these things are not yet fulfilled and won't be fulfilled until Christ returns and opens the eyes of His people Israel to see their Messiah, Jesus. They'll come to faith in Him and God will establish a kingdom here upon the earth. We believe that is yet to come. But we can take some encouragement in that God is already seemingly beginning to work in the nation of Israel. Israel is now back in the land. You know, for almost 2,000 years, there was no nation of Israel. After 70 A.D., the Romans, after Jesus, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. There was no Israel nation. But here, just in 1948, all of a sudden, they're back in the land and Israel is back on the scene. A nation has been birthed again. And God is beginning to bring the remnant, those, those Jews from all foreign places around the world and bringing them back there. It was interesting. We were in Jerusalem this year and our guide was taking us through Jerusalem. And she pointed out one section of the city. Now she said, you see this? This used to be uh, when, the, when, when the people just started coming back to repopulate the land. This was like the, the, the worst part of town. 
This was like, you know, the backside of the town. This was the, the hood. This was where nobody wanted to be. But now, you know, 40 years, 50, 60 years later, that is some of the most expensive real estate in the country because it's so close in proximity to the old town Jerusalem. Amazing that, you know, what once was just a worthless desert wasteland now has become this valuable real estate. It speaks really to what God was trying to say through Jeremiah. Listen, there's coming a day I'm not finished. I'm not finished in this land. I'm not finished with this people. And I want to use your life, Jeremiah. I want to use this transaction to communicate something to your people and to your generation. I'm asking you to rise above yourself and allow me to use your resources and you're going to spend your money, you're going to buy this land. In your mind, it makes no sense. It's going to be very peculiar, but I'm using it to say something to my people. And this is ultimately what God is trying to do and what he's trying to communicate. I will bless, I will bring them back. Exciting for us today to see Israel back in the land. We believe that Israel is something of God's timepiece concerning how he works with men through history. And Israel back on the scene tells us that some of these prophecies that we believe won't be fulfilled until Christ returns are right at the horizon. And so we, we're excited about what God is doing in Israel. We watch that. We keep track of that because we believe it speaks to our hearts even today. This is how Jeremiah was asked to be used. This is how Jeremiah was asked to be a living sacrifice. I want to spend just the last few minutes that we have together to talk to you about God's purpose for your life. I believe that God wants to use all of us as a living sacrifice. That God has something in mind for your life. And it might be higher than, than the plan that you had. God said, my thoughts and my ways are higher than your thoughts and ways. You know, we, we tend to be so focused on what we want God to do, what we believe we need God to do, that we can't really think about what God has on His mind so much as what we have on our mind. God, I, you know, if I was Jeremiah, God, I need to get out of this prison. This is my, my, my sole focus, is to get delivered out of this difficult place. But God wanted to use that difficult place to say something through the life of Jeremiah. And I believe that God wants to speak through your and my life as well. Is your life a living message? Are you willing to obey God in order to be used as His ambassador? Is the kingdom and His message of redemption of greater importance than your own personal circumstance? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things. What were those other things? What will I wear? What will I eat? How will I provide? How will I survive? All those other things will be added. God will take care of those things. Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. Don't get preoccupied with that. He said, you know, the Gentiles, the non-believers, this is the things they worry and fret over all the time. Don't be like that. You seek the kingdom. Raise your sights to something higher for the purpose and cause of your life. God wants to use your life to glorify Himself, to speak to your generation. And it may be that your personal circumstance might even know difficulty and hardship. 
It's not, certainly not unbiblical. We see this example through the Scriptures. And God is able to take hardship and use it for His glory. That's the testimony of, of a God with whom nothing is too difficult. You're going to have to do some things. How can we be used? Something's going to have to take place in our heart. And I've got just a few thoughts, and we'll close. Number one, you must set yourself aside. Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life is going to lose it. But he who is willing to lose his life for my sake is going to find it. Are you willing to set your personal need, desire, ambition, dream, perp? Are you willing to set yourself aside for a higher cause? God wants to be glorified through you. It may be that God will use your personal difficulty to portray or communicate His love and mercy in a greater way for His kingdom purpose. You remember the Apostle Paul. It was in a prison, a Roman prison. And we believe in the time of his life, it, was, it might have, may very well have been very near the end of his life, a time just before he would face martyrdom, that he wrote to the Philippians. And he said to them, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Paul, writing from an extremely difficult circumstance in his life, he writes to the church, he writes and speaks to our hearts today, and he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, if, Paul, if, if history had revealed that Paul was sitting somewhere in a palace in the lap of luxury, just, you know, overly abundantly provided for, and those words came, rejoice, brothers. <laughs> We'd say, yeah, easy for you to say, Paul, sitting in the, you know, the really, you know, sweet spot, and you telling us all to rejoice. These words have power. These words have generational power. They speak to every heart. They're timeless because they were written in some of the most difficult of circumstances. Paul found something to rejoice in and content in in his relationship with the Lord. And it speaks to our hearts that in any circumstance, we can find a way to rejoice. God used Paul's difficult time to speak to Christians for 2,000 years. It, became, it, become, it has become the very word of the Lord, not just the words of Paul. You must be willing to set yourself aside. Secondly, you must understand His heart, His priorities. What is on the mind of the Lord today? I mean, you know what's on your mind. I know what's on my mind. I know what my priorities are. You probably already have your afternoon plan. You're certainly, some of you may be thinking about tomorrow morning. You've got issues and things to resolve. I mean, we know what's on our mind. We know what our priorities are. But I'm asking you, what is on God's heart right now? What is God thinking about? What is God burdened for, for our generation, for our culture? Does God have something that He wants to do? Does God have things that are burdening His heart that He would like you to participate with, that He would like to breathe into your heart? 
But there's no room. It's too crowded with me and what my needs and my concerns are. I can scarcely hear the voice of God. But God has a burden today, and I must be willing to allow His heart to become mine. Let me tell you, God is thinking about redemption. God is thinking about souls. God is thinking about salvation. God is thinking about eternity. And these are the things that we must allow our hearts to be burdened with as well. Jeremiah could have easily been focused on his own circumstance, but instead, God wanted to use his life to speak into eternity, to speak a word of hope to a nation. And not only for that generation, but for all generations to follow. Thirdly, maybe the most important, you must obey. You must be willing to obey the Lord. Jeremiah could have said, forget it. I'm not buying no worthless piece of land with the last bit of money I've got. I may need it to buy my way out of this prison. No, thanks, Lord. (laughs) That's the craziest idea I've ever heard of. Jeremiah obeyed the Lord. You see him wrestling. You see him trying to pray through it and understand, God, what's the point of this? But he, he, he does it only after he obeys the Lord. How we handle difficulty, what we do in our life's circumstances, if we're willing to obey the Lord even in tough times, this speaks to the hearts of the men and women that we live with and we work with. Just a few closing thoughts. What if the Lord, what if the Lord wants to demonstrate peace? that passes understanding. How many of you have heard of that beautiful phrase, peace that passes understanding? How many of you have heard of that? How will God communicate that? How can God tell our world that He has a peace that passes understanding? How can He make that known? How can He make it true in the heart of those that are looking for peace? Is it going to come by blessing all believers with just perfect circumstances so we're always just happy and, and all is good and easy? That doesn't take peace that passes understanding. The peace that passes understanding is an inner peace and a contentment and a grounded faith and hope in God no matter what your circumstance. That's the peace that people are drawn to. What is it? How is it that you can handle this? How is it that you seem to be steady? What's your anchor? What is keeping you together? God may want to use difficult circumstance wherein He comforts and meets you to speak to your generation, to speak through your life. A living sacrifice. What about love? Is God a God of love? Yes, He is. He's demonstrated that in that He sent Jesus Christ to die for us. But Jesus would tell us that that His disciples would also be identified in the world today by the love that they have for one another. Don't you think the world is looking for love? Don't you think there are people in our city, in our world, that are looking for the real thing, a real sense of love? What if the church really began to love one another? 
What if we really treated one another with self-sacrificing love? Yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor. This guy, he, he did me wrong. I, yeah, but you know, that's, I, I don't like that person. That's not my kind of person. Well, you know, I, and we bicker and we, and we contend. And instead of demonstrating the love of God, instead of demonstrating what God wants to say through His church to a hurting, dying world, we're too busy, you know, infighting. And God can't really get the message out as he would love to, desire to, through a people that walk in love, a living sacrifice, as Christians, one to another. What about love within the home? What about marriages? Is marriage under attack in our culture? Is marriage under attack in our generation? Is the very description of marriage under attack in our society. How is it that God can demonstrate to a people that are lost what He has in mind? It has to come through Christian marriages that demonstrate the love of God. It has to come through people that are willing to be living sacrifices Oh, that pastor, you don't, know, you don't know my spouse. That's, you know, that. Peter would say this to the wives. Wives, be submissive to your husbands that even if some do not obey the word, even those that are not walking in obedience to the scriptures, maybe they're not even saved, maybe they don't even know the Lord, that they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Is it possible that God would speak through a wife in the manner that she treats her husband? Not what she says to her husband, not what she tells her husband, but what her conduct displays in her home. Is it possible that you could become a living sacrifice that would have great power and anointing in your home? Husbands, you know, I'm not going to leave you out of this equation. <laughs> Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. What if God wants to display how much he loves his church? What if God wants to communicate something to a, to a dying culture that He loves them and that He has something for His people, that He loves them so much that He is willing to lay His life down for them? How can He communicate that? How can I demonstrate that? Where is a Jeremiah that I can tell to lay his life down for his wife? Where are the husbands that are willing to love their wives as Christ loves the church. It's a high calling. And it will take the grace of God. It will take the, the full power of the Holy Spirit. But it's what's needed. We could go for a lot. We could, we could talk about that for a while, couldn't we? <laughs> Marriages, husbands and wives, listen to me. 
God wants to display His glory through your marriage. He wants to say something to a culture, to a people, to a generation that has lost sight of what marriage is even about. And if if it can't be modeled in the midst of his people, where will they look? Where will they turn? We need to treat one another right. We need to be willing to be living sacrifices. Finally, what about mercy? What about forgiveness? Is God merciful? Oh. Is God patient and long-suffering? Is God willing to give second and third and fourth and many chances? How's he going to communicate that? How's he going to dis- put that on display to a people that, that are so hurt and resentful and bitter and unforgiving? We live in a time when it's just, it's, it's become violent, it's become vile. Where will the world see something of forgiveness and mercy and grace and patience and long-suffering? God is calling us. God is calling us. You who have been so forgiven, now you be forgiving to one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And yet, as Christians, many holding on to hurts, holding on to bitterness, resentful, struggling with just what was, what's been done, but you don't know, Pastor, I've been hurt. Yes, I know. And I'm not trying to minimize these things. But at some point, we've got to rise above ourselves and be the church. We've got to rise up and let Christ be glorified. We've got to become living sacrifices. We've got to be like Jeremiah, you know? Yeah, I'm in prison, but that's not the issue here. Yeah, I've got drama in my life. I've got problems. I've got circumstance. Yes, not to minimize any of those things. And God says, cast your cares upon Him. Make your requests known. Pray. Seek God. But don't get lost in, in yourself. Don't get lost in where all you're thinking about is what God can be doing and needs to be doing for you. Remember, He's calling you to be something to your generation. He's calling you to be a living sacrifice. He wants to speak through your life. He wants to speak in ways that you and I, frankly, have not been willing to allow Him. But I think that Jeremiah sets an example for us And I just believe that there is truth there for our hearts today as well. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the example of Jeremiah. We see so much, Lord, in this chapter, Lord, that first of all, that message of hope, that message of a future and a redemption for your people. And so we're encouraged today, Lord, that You've not given up on Israel and You've not given up on us. You are a God of restoration. You are a God who's looking to redeem. So much so that You came and became our kin. You became man that You might be able to redeem us and to save us and to rescue us. And yet, Lord, You've saved us with purpose. For those of us that have been redeemed, those of us that know You, God, You want to speak through our lives. And You've called us to something of of a living sacrifice. 
that we might prove what the will of God is, that we might demonstrate it, that we might show off the glory of God by a changed life, by a people that are peculiar and unique. Just as Jeremiah must have stood out, why would anybody buy property at this time? What's he thinking? And yet, God, you were thinking of communicating something powerful to your people. And so today, Lord, I believe that you want to speak through our lives, that you want to use our lives for something even higher than what we have imagined, and you want to declare your glory. God, help us. Help us, Lord, in our own personal lives. Help us, God, to, to, be, to be what you've called us to be, and may it start in the home. For whatever reason, Lord, you've just put it on my heart today to speak to marriages. That's a good place to start becoming a living sacrifice. So God, I pray for the marriages here today. And I, I just have to assume, Lord, that your heart is burdened for them this morning. And that you're wanting to soften and turn the hearts of husbands and wives back to one another to be willing to forgive and to be willing to lay our lives down one for another. Lord, I also believe that you're drawing the hearts of people to yourself this morning. And I, I do want to pray. If you'll just keep your head bowed for one more moment, let me close in a, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you're here today and, and you don't know the Lord, you don't have a personal relationship with Him, Maybe He's spoken to you in a powerful way and you know that he's, he's reaching out to you and telling you that He loves you and He wants you to come and be reconciled to Him, be redeemed today, that He has sent Jesus, your kinsman redeemer. I'd love to pray for you if your heart is prepared to respond to that invitation. Or maybe you're here today and you need to come back to Him. Maybe you knew Him at one time and for whatever reason, through circumstance, through distraction, through trial, through mistakes, you find yourself far away from the Lord today. And He's drawing you back. And you need to come back to the Lord and recommit and rededicate yourself to Him. I want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you need to come to the Lord for the first time or you need to rededicate yourself to Him, would you simply raise your hand where you, where, I, where you are so I can see you and I'll pray for you? Anybody here today? God bless you, ma'am, over here on my left in the back. And you as well, sir, in the back. Anyone else? You need to come to the Lord or you need to return to the Lord? God bless you both here on my left. A couple, God bless you. Any others before we pray for those that have responded? Father, I do thank you for those hearts that you've drawn. and I believe that you're drawing them to yourself, Lord. I, I believe that you delight to do good in their life. And so, God, that you would forgive them of their sins today. That they would look not to themselves, but to Jesus that they would look to their kinsman redeemer, Lord, just as Jeremiah's cousin came and said, hey, I need you to help me and, and, and redeem me out of this mess. Lord, we come to you and we say, God, we need help. 
Jesus come and save and cleanse and renew and Holy Spirit come and and bring new life and may this be the beginning of something beautiful, a walk of fellowship. One last thing I want to pray for today before I dismiss. I just sense that it's the Holy Spirit that wants us to pray for marriages today. I don't want to embarrass anyone, so we're not going to be calling people up, but really it's, it's for you just to acknowledge in your own heart to the Lord. If you're here today and you want prayer for your marriage, would you simply raise your hand and I'm going to pray for marriages. Bless you. Leave them up just for a minute. Quite a few. Definitely an area that comes under attack, isn't it? All right, let me pray for marriages that have responded and and really, to be honest, I don't know any marriage that couldn't use a little prayer, so let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. It seems to me, Lord, and again, just by the way your spirit seemed to direct me in preparing for today, that that you wanted to speak to husbands and wives about a willingness to be living sacrifices in their home, that you might prove what your will is, that good, acceptable, perfect will. Lord, marriage is not something that we're supposed to be rescued from. Marriage is something that we are supposed to find abundance in and blessing. And so, Lord, I pray for the marriages, God. We know that you have got something good. And so, Lord, it, it, it falls to us to yield and to obey and to, and to take your words to heart this morning. So we want to give you our face, not our back. We want to listen to your instruction and we we ask God that you would give us the grace. First of all, the grace to forgive. Lord, a, a grace to be merciful. Not because our spouse necessarily deserves it, but because even when I didn't deserve it, you were merciful to me. And that I would be more like Jesus in this regard. A willingness to forgive. And secondly, Lord, just a willingness to love. Not to just say it, but to, but to demonstrate it. With a laying down of one another's life. With a conduct. With a self-sacrifice. God, soften the hearts. Turn our hearts back to our spouses and let there be a, a refreshing, a renewal, a restoration today. Strengthen these that have asked, Lord, and strengthen all the marriages that are here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, we'll close.